Hello, and welcome to a more perfect podcast. This is one of the most telling interviews I think I'll ever do. To my knowledge, I'm the first kid my age to interview a doctor about the coronavirus outbreak in the United States. And this is the first time our generation has really been able to step up and ask questions directly to a medical expert. I can't thank you guys enough for submitting your questions. As we were editing this episode, there was times where we couldn't even click. We were so shocked at his answers. The advice that the government and the advice that your health officials are giving you is so important and so critical to the health and safety and security of our nation and yourself. To not abide by it would be a crime. Dr. Mark Hash is an infectious disease expert, former paratrooper, and is currently serving as a doctor in the United States. Dr. Hash, I am so glad to have you on the show. Hey, Dylan. How are you? Good, good. My first question comes from Jamie and Brittany. They ask, how long will it take to create a vaccine or cure for the virus? Uh, That's a very good question. Uh, From what I've read, they're predicting um, 12 to 18 months. Oh, wow. Uh, I can, again, from what I've read, companies are working on it full speed ahead as quick as they can. Do you know uh, any of the labs that are working on it or any of the people that are working on it? Is there like, how does the vaccine process work? That was a question from another friend of mine, which is like, what is the process for developing um, the, the vaccine? Oh, that's a good question. First, you have to identify the, the viral genome, the genetics of it, uh, which they've already, which has already been done. And then uh, you have to start testing. Typically, you start testing on animals. And when that's proven safe, you start human volunteer testing. Uh, from what I've read, the president has removed those uh, strict regulations. And I've read that there's actually human volunteer testing already uh, undergoing in Seattle. Wow. I didn't know that. So my next question, it, it kind of, you know, rewinds things a little bit. My next question is, how did the virus start? And Jamie asked that question. Do we know how it started for sure or... That's a good question. These vir- the respiratory viruses, including coronavirus, mm-hmm. the, the family of coronavirus typically start in China, and they're, zo- they're zoonotic. They come from usually uh, pigs or birds, chickens. Okay. And they jump over, they cross over into man, and therein lies the problem in that mankind is typically not exposed to these, and so we have no antibodies to them. And... About 20 years ago, we had another coronavirus epidemic or pandemic called SARS. We had uh, one, another one since then. But the problem uh, seems to always originate in China, and that's where the influenza viruses typically begin also. It's unique. This one's a bit unique in that from influenza, in that typically influenza migrates southward mm-hmm. into the southern hemisphere. But this one is so virulent. It's so, so aggressive that uh, it, unlike influenza, um, you can be infected with this double corona family virus for a week and be asymptomatic. So the problem was that people had it, didn't know it, got on airplanes and flew across Europe and North America. Mm-hmm. So it kind, of, it kind of bypassed the typical north to south route of drift, so to speak. So we think as you said, it, it, it came from, uh, it's zoonotic, so it came from an animal. 
Um, I, I've been hearing some stuff, like you didn't mention bats, but I've been hearing some stuff about bats online, like somebody ate a bat and this is how it started, or can you like verify any of that information or is it just bogus? Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, don't believe anything that comes out of a communist country, period. Okay. Um, however, uh, the Chinese are saying, the Chinese scientists are saying that this came from an open uh, air market in, in the state of Wuhan. Mm -hmm. And wild animals are a delicacy there. It's not just bass, it's other wild animals. And uh, there again, the problem is uh, they have infections that humans don't have. Coincidentally, not coincidentally, the, the, the Institute of Virology is also, uh, what I've read, uh, is, is on yards down from the bat market, from the uh, wild animal market. And the Chinese have been doing research with uh, producing vaccines for the SARS virus, the coronaviruses. Mm -hmm. I've read literature that says that uh, some of these scientists were contaminated with bat urine, bat, bat urine, bat blood, a tick off of a bat, and they became ill with this virus. Uh, I, I, there's no way to confirm this because their regime is so authoritarian. They're not, they're not going to release that information. Definitely. Or they're, not going, they're not going to confirm it, no. Definitely. I mean, we've, we've covered China on this show before, and we know that they are some of the most closed people ever. I mean, they are just so authoritarian. It's just really non-helpful um, when you're dealing with a worldwide crisis like this to not post your actual numbers, to not post um, even how the virus, like a definitive information on how the virus started, like, you know, from what animal. I mean, I'm sure we'll find out eventually, but uh, it definitely doesn't help how the Chinese covered it up we actually have a question a little bit later um, coming back to the coming back to the Chinese and and their regime but but I'd uh, I'd like to move on and, and go back actually to uh, to another point that, that you made earlier about how the virus that you mentioned the the influenza usually goes into the southern hemisphere right correct on its way back up to the northern hemisphere a year later typically what what CDC does when it's fall in the southern hemisphere, we send researchers down to obtain serum from flu patients. We bring that back up to America and we produce vaccines specific uh, to that influenza virus. And hopefully as it drifts back up to the north when it's fall here, uh, the vaccine is pretty accurate in immunizing people. It usually is. This novel coronavirus is not working that way. Again, it jumped on airplanes and uh, spread, you know, as you've seen pretty quick. Definitely. Uh, focusing on this spread, I, I I believe what we call the seasonal flu, uh, influenza, they're the same thing. Right. Um, Alex asks, how much more infectious is it than the seasonal flu? Uh, it's just extremely, extremely more infectious. And that's what makes it very dangerous. Okay, most people who get this are asymptomatic. They don't have symptoms of it. And, and therein lies the problem. Those that do get symptoms of it won't get the symptoms for a week, uh, seven to 10 days. In the meantime, they've contaminated, infected countless other people. One study I read is that the average so far is an infected person is unknowingly infecting uh, 2.5 to, 2 to 3 other people. Wow, and that's why, that's why this is growing. This is growing exponentially, as we're as we're now seeing in New York City. Can you provide any um, details about what's going on in New York City? Do you know uh, anyone out there, or have you seen any videos? Could you like describe it? I don't know anybody there. I used to. I went to graduate school in New York City, so I kind of know the layout. It's very you know 
very dense population. And uh, from what I've read on, I've, I've subscribed to some COVID websites okay. where uh, physicians write in and it's a, it's a disaster. I read late, late last night that like almost 600 uh, NYPD officers are now sick to have died. Oh 20% of EMS are now sick. That's so the, the system is within two days will collapse. Wow. What, what the, there's nothing like, like even with, even with the, the Navy ships and everything else. So, so I've actually, I've actually been on that Navy ship. Um, no way. Yeah. I put pictures on Facebook. Yeah. I, I took some casualties out there twice, uh, many years ago. Anyway, regardless. So the Navy ship is well equipped. Uh, I believe their plan is to transfer non-COVID patients to the ship. It's a thousand-bed ship. They have 45 ICU beds. Uh, now, here, herein again lies the problem. You can be asymptomatic for seven to ten days, and hospitals are closing in places. So all it takes is one non-diagnosed asymptomatic COVID patient on that ship, then you have a contaminated ship. Wow. So that, that uh, so the, the ship is there to relieve the pressure on all the hospitals the uh, army corps of engineers as we speak are converting uh, every, uh warehouses stadiums into uh temporary hospital facilities with just rows upon rows upon rows of beds my gosh this is unprecedented in the history of the united states of america well for the past 100 years i mean this wasn't even in the back of my mind our generation we I've only read a short paragraph about it in history books because, you know, I think even the people that wrote our history books couldn't really see anything like this happening again. Like, because, you know, we're so strong, our medicine is so great, which it is. Um, but we never, not even in the back of my mind, at least, did I ever think that I would see this. I, I saw this, I saw this movie called Contagion um, and it kind of painted the picture eerily of exactly what's going on now it was really grim and of course the like, like the virus then was kind of you know amped up and it had a higher death rate with about the same contagion and they were doing all the things that we're doing now and it's just it just they eventually did find a vaccine but it was really it was one of the most scary movies you know i've i've ever watched regardless like of course it was more scary because i'm going i i'm, I'm living in the movie right now yeah we all are yeah so that might have, you know, amped it up a little bit, but regardless, it was a really scary movie. It, it got criticized when it came out for being, you know, what is this, some some nightmare dream? Like, like what kind of sick person made this? And it got, it kind of got ignored, but now it's number one on iTunes, so. Oh, good, it should be. Yeah, people are uh, people are paying attention. It was, it was also developed with doctors and scientists like yourself, and so all the stuff they they go into there uh re really educated me at least um uh if, if if i'm not wrong i think uh i learned from from this movie that uh what you were saying about the 2.5 to 3 people being infected that's what's called the uh and please correct me if i'm wrong it's called the r not oh I, I don't know they said the r not is basically how many people an infected person is estimated to come in contact with and the incubation period is um it's like how long it takes to show to show um, symptoms of the virus. Uh, at, at least that's what the movie said, um, and that's what I've been yeah. hearing. Okay. Now that we're like talking about you know New York, uh, I kind of want to skip ahead to um, 
to Vance's question because he asks some good questions about this. He, he asks two uh, mirroring questions, which is, what is the best case scenario for this virus? And uh, the antithesis question, which is, what is the worst case scenario for this virus? The best case scenario is a total lockdown of the, the, of the country for three to four weeks, wow. uh, which would have to be enforced by uh, martial law quick discovery of, of uh, a vaccine and and uh, a quick distribution of a test everybody's gonna have to be tested and mm-hmm. and right now there's no there's no there's no real testing it takes four to five days to get a test back abbott labs has come out with a test and the president uh removed a lot of restrictions on you know uh, to get these tests to market and so they they uh, the fda just now approved two days ago approved a five-minute test made by abbott labs and wow. they've already started producing it and they're going to start distributing it this week. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, this administration is going full. The, the money they're throwing at this and the effort they're uh, spending on this is just, I've never, I've never, it's unprecedented since probably the beginning of World War II. Like coming from a, coming from a doctor, that, that really says something. If, if you're astounded at, at the amount, I mean, I, I think, I think we're all a little mind boggled at $2 trillion, but, but especially, you know, coming from you, you knowing what it takes, you knowing the you know severity of diseases. Of course, you know you're a doctor. It's your profession, and it it really says a lot about the uh, the, the nation's efforts and you know how much we're how much we're putting towards it. That's uh, if that's the best case scenario. Uh, what does the worst case scenario look like? I'm almost afraid to ask, but Vance did ask this question. Vance asked, "What is the worst case scenario for this virus?" And then um, Sarah. Uh, also had two questions that, that are kind of uh, interrelated to to Vance's question, which is um, when will we get past the point of no return and are we past the point already? What is what is the quote unquote deadline if the virus was, say, a assignment like my, my Spanish test? Um, we have assignments, we have due dates. Are we past our due date? Are we past our point of no return? Is, is there a point of no return? Are we screwed or are we not screwed? I don't know what the point of no return means this is not a, a mankind ending event existential is it can it be could it be devastating absolutely i think what she's asking is how much time if any do we have left to minimize the devastation before it becomes a catastrophe if it's not in your opinion a catastrophe already oh, it, oh it's, it's, it's here this thing this virus is so infectious yeah, you can just assume that all of America will be exposed to it. Wow. So if you, if you look at the mortality rate, it's going to be between, I'm guesstimating, between 0.5 and 1%, probably closer to 0.5. So you do the math, if there's 300, 320 million Americans, multiply that by 0.5, still a huge number. So yeah. the plan is to, talk, when you talk about mitigation in a, in a pandemic or epidemic, you're talking about slowing the damage over time, you're still going to get the same amount of damage. It's just going to occur at a slower rate. Mm-hmm. So all they're trying to do now is keep some availability of hospital staff, medical staff, and hospital beds. Again, that's just to minimize the death rate. What we're seeing now in New York, if you look at the statistics from CDC, the peak incidence and the peak death rate is going to be in about between two and three, about three weeks. These are going to be the people that went to the beaches on spring break, kept going to the restaurants, kept going to the bars, kept hanging out with their friends uh, over the past two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. The people that didn't listen. That's right. Um, it's pretty scary. I know some I know some girls that went to the beach themselves, and I'm 
kind of freaky. Yeah, everybody needs to be paying attention to this, and I, I hope they did before it's too late. Uh, basically, I, I guess what you're saying is the worst case scenario would be New York, um, except nationwide. New York, and you look at every every yeah, finest information on CDC. Um, I mean, take every city, New York, San Antonio, Kansas City, San Francisco, Chicago, L.A., Seattle, Miami, Orlando. Mm-hmm. You know, keep calling them off. There was a there's a few questions about pre-existing uh, conditions. My first uh, pre-existing condition um, question comes from Jose. He's uh, concerned about his family because one of his family members does have uh, diabetes, and he asks, "How probable is it that somebody with diabetes that contracted COVID-19 would be in a life-threatening condition?" That's a good question. If you have underlying medical issues like diabetes, cancer, immunosuppression for any reason, heart disease is the heart disease seems to be the big one. You're at increased risk of dying from it. Now this this virus is also not only causing lung damage, it's causing heart damage, specifically a cardiomyopathy where the muscle of the heart gets weak or myocarditis where the muscle gets inflamed and the blood vessels and the and the arteries in the to the heart muscle get inflamed. There's actually cases occurring now of young people having heart attacks and dying. You're kidding. Not at all. New hmm. onset of uh, heart attacks, uh, heart failure. My gosh. Young people meaning 18 through 25. Is that what you Are mean you? by young people? My right. age? Right. That's really freaking scary. So I hope that, um, uh, geez, I, I hope that answers that question. Um, my next question was another uh, pre-existing condition question and it comes from Brittany again have you ever heard of uh, the autoimmune disease she's asking called traps um, it's it's pretty rare and what are the chances of someone with that to to get this virus would it be fatal and what is the best course of action if they do get it uh, she says that her and, and her mother do actually have this autoimmune disease called traps she's very worried could you could you tell us anything about her condition should she get this virus? I would wonder if she's on medication. She she probably is. She said she that she has. Um, I, I've heard that people with traps has uh, like episodes that can be like you know weeks long or maybe she said sometimes months long. But it's tumor necrosis factor receptor syndrome, and I don't know. It's a genetic syndrome and uh, episodes of recurrent fevers. I don't know offhand. Uh, how that would relate to uh, the COVID virus, uh, other than tumor necrosis factor is uh, one of the factors that's causing problems with this illness. Um, here's how it works. The virus doesn't directly kill you. It's so novel, it's so new, mankind's never been exposed to it, doesn't have antibodies to it, that it, it stimulates your immune system to go into overdrive. And your body produces chemicals called cytokines and interleukins, and it's a cascade effect. It occurs over hours, and your immune system goes haywire. And these chemicals that you're trying to trying to kill the virus, and of course now the virus, the virus just wants to live. So the virus will keep multiplying to try to outpace the cytokines and the interleukins, try try to outpace your body trying to kill it. So you're getting into a race here. And if you're young and healthy, your your body usually wins the race, the fight. If you're immunosuppressed for any reason, if you're whether being just 80 years old or if you have underlying cancer, heart disease, then the virus has a greater chance at uh, winning the fight. 
basically winds up your immune system kills you. Wow. It causes per, uh, incredible fibrotic damage to the lungs. That uh, if you're if you're young and fairly healthy, it, that damage is usually temporary. If you're not, then it's permanent and worsens over a couple of few days. And I'm just going on what I know that an autoimmune disease is. It's just she needs to be very careful. Like like everyone needs to be careful. Well, I, I would, you know, so for her, I, I would tell her exactly what I'm telling everybody else, including my family. We've been quarantined for uh, over two weeks now. Stay indoors, period. That is at least for three to four weeks. Anything that comes in, if the mail comes in, uh, leave it out in the sun for a few days if you can. Any food that comes in, wash it. Assume it's contaminated. Put some gloves on and wash it with soap and water if you have it. Alcohol is, uh, an alcohol-based cleanser is good, too. Bleach is good. The main thing is to stay indoors. If the, if the incidence rate is going, think of it this way. If the peak is in three weeks, in four weeks, the incidence will be down. It'll be going down. And there's fewer people that can affect you. This virus is not getting on the, uh, in a car to come infect you. People are spreading this virus. The virus is not spreading itself. People are spreading it. And so if I would tell this, this girl with this syndrome, stay away from people. Stay in the house. That's all she has to do. That's all anybody has to do. You know, I, I spent 20 plus years in the military with four deployments, and I trained specifically twice in nuclear, biological, chemical, uh, the management of, of casualties of nuclear, biological, chemical warfare. I cannot, I cannot tell you how dangerous the situation is. It's that, da- it's that dangerous. There are young people dying out there. That's just, just, just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's just so tragic. I mean, it just scares, it's scary as hell. There's a bit more questions. Uh, I had a lot come in. I, I think that uh, pretty much covers the autoimmune questions. Uh, I just wanted to put out there, uh, Brittany uh, asked that, and, and Carson also um, asked that same question. So so I'm kind of tying those questions together. The, the next questions are, Chris asks, how long or, or how likely is it for hospital workers to contract the virus if they're taking the proper precautions and I would like to add, uh, what are those precautions that the hospital workers are taking? Okay, so it varies from the hospital. Now, if, 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 before you can, if you have a patient with COVID, um, you're in uh, maximum protection, typically a uh, uh, double glove, uh, gown, uh, at least an N95 mask, face shield, shoe covers, hat cover, and then you uh, decontaminate uh, as soon as you, as you see the patient. Uh, there's a special way to take off your gear. Right now, most most hospitals, if you're not seeing, if you're not taking care of a COVID patient, you're not you're not wearing. You really don't need to wear anything. Now, that's the current guidelines. I can tell you also that I read a study out of University of Nebraska a couple of days ago. Now, University of Nebraska is where they sent the first patients with COVID here, and, and they have special units to take care of uh, viral illnesses like this. And so they did a study, and a COVID patient on oxygen by nasal cannula, that means a plastic tube, going across their nose, letting oxygen in their nose. It was, it was minimal oxygen. It was one liter a minute, very minimal. You probably could, probably could barely feel it on your finger. Just that amount of oxygen put viral particles in the air in the hallway outside the room. Wow. Wow. So that's significant because the severity of the illness is dependent on several things, but one thing is primarily dependent on is that it's called viral load. If you're exposed to it, how much of it are you exposed to? So if you're exposed to 10 particles of virus protein, 
if you're healthy, you're not going to get that sick. You may not get sick at all. As opposed to if you're if somebody sneezes five feet away from you, you're away, and you inhale a hundred thousand particles of protein, or you could die. Yeah. So that that is that is the that is why this, this, that explains the phenomena of social distancing and phenomena of staying indoors. Don't be around people. If you do go out, people have to go to the bank, have to go to the grocery store. I get that. You know, and people, some people have to work. Wear a mask. Wear a set, wear gloves. And when you walk out of the store, take the gloves off, uh, and then go home and, and decontaminate. Take your clothes off inside out. In the washing machine, take a shower. That's um, that's stuff that I certainly haven't heard before. Um, that I'm glad that you're saying because now a lot of a lot more people are going to hear it and um, hopefully do it. I know that I'm certainly going to do those things. Decontaminate, you know, everywhere. We just bought latex gloves from Publix, so we're uh, good. We're kind of on the curve there so dylan one of the things that's unique about this virus that if, what, uh, if you look at the literature and so it's kind of a sticky virus a sticky virus what does that it mean it has little spikes on it so a lot of viruses um they have to get into your lower respiratory system in your lungs to infect you this one is uh has got little spikes on it so it's sticky so, um, whereas the influenza virus, if it sticks on your nose, you may you may not get sick as long as it doesn't go in your lungs. The novel corona can stick into your nose and your tongue and your mouth and causing a bronchitis, mm-hmm. and that's the cough. And you, so you swallow your spit, it's contaminated with coronavirus, and then it goes in your lungs and causes the pneumonia and the damage there. And that's what again, that's what makes this so dangerous. I'm glad you explained how that works. I mean, I, I, I certainly didn't know how it works. I knew, um, I knew from Spanish, this corona actually means crown. And so maybe maybe the spikes are the, the, the crown of the virus. Uh, it, yeah. I think it's just how it, how it was named uh, so, so aptly uh, from what yeah. you are telling me. So my next question, like, like you kind of covered it, but maybe you can go into like a little bit more detail. Uh, it's, from, it's from Alan and he asks, how does a disease become airborne? How does it go? from you know one method of transmission which is you know coughing or little like droplets in the air from sneezing uh to being uh airborne and i think uh what does what does airborne mean does it mean like the particles are in the air for a long time and they sustain themselves or um what does that mean and rather how does a disease uh do that how does it become airborne that's a good question so there's two ways to catch this disease either somebody it becomes airborne Somebody sneezes or coughs near you, or and it drifts over, just flies with the currents, uh, and you inhale it, or you can get it in your eyes and, and get it that way too. Just, but the main re- the main way is somebody coughs or sneezes near you, even just talking to you. You know, you you, you inhale it that way, or through what's called fomites, it's just a, an intermittent med, uh, transportation system to get it to you. Somebody coughs on somebody coughs uh, on a, a doorknob. A doorknob yeah, or a, somebody, a table. Somebody call, somebody's in the grocery store and coughs by the stack of apples. Yeah. And you go by and buy some apples, and you don't wash them, and you and, and you swallow the apple, and then next thing you know, you're 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 you're, you're infected. So that that would kind of tie into the disinfect everything, you know, wipe everything down with a Clorox or alcohol wipe, right? Um, yes. You know, as as you said, and as as literally evidenced by that question. It's, it's humans that are spreading the virus, not the virus itself. Right, that's exactly right. So that's, that's definitely something that I kind of learned today. I mean, we would think 
we think that you know the invisible enemy can move on its own, but it's it's really us spreading the invisible enemy, and it's up to us to or stop unintentionally helping it. Does it? Are you saying that it, it is airborne, so a person can can sneeze and and the particles can linger in the air for you know x amount of time, or does yes. it have to be does it have to be on a surface? Either way. Either way. Either way. No, no. The, the best way to get infected with is I call for sneeze or or just stand by you and talk to you. I mean, even just standing a foot away from you, you know, you're getting sprayed with microscopic droplets of spit. Wow. So some of these questions are, again, kind of grouped together. I kind of want to move on here so we can cover everything. So we already did the vaccine process development. So the, the next questions are kind of like about, about the timeline for this thing. Uh, we, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but maybe we can go into a, into a bit more detail. So Vance, Brittany and Sarah, as well as a few other people, they all ask, how long are we gonna have to stay in quarantine? Is it just how long the vaccine process takes or is there a rough timeline? Like how, how many weeks are we talking about here? One, uh, a person asks, you know, will, will the country be open by Easter? Uh, is that probable? Yes, I do. I mean, I mean I've just read CDC studies and, and these are, you know, Dr. Fauci uh, is brilliant. He, he uh, appreciated a lot of original immunology research on HIV back in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy's brilliant, Anthony Fauci, one that's appearing with President Trump at all the, all the briefings. Uh, everybody needs to listen to him. He's not political and he knows what he's talking about. So what you're seeing now, the peak incidence, the best case scenario right now, peak incidence is going to be between two and three weeks from now. And these will be the people that were infected over the previous week, people that ignored the warnings. Mm -hmm. So they're either going to die off or they're going, they're going to get better. Most, most, the vast majority will get better. They should be immunized, they should be automatically immunized where they can't get sick again and they won't be contagious. And so if everybody is indoors while these people are sick in their homes or in the hospital, then the incidence should start going down. However, that doesn't mean you can let your guard down, I predict by no later than mid-May, life will start returning to normal. However, you should still wear a mask in public and, and social distancing and wear gloves. Otherwise, we're gonna have a rebound. That's the danger. Are things gonna get back to normal by, by Easter? Absolutely not. Didn't you say earlier, uh, just to hit on it again, the, the vaccine will take maybe a year, you said 12 to 18 months? Yeah, don't, don't count on the vaccine anytime soon. To continue on this point, Jordan asks, will will the summer, a, a change of climate, a change of weather, will that stop the virus? No. 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 One study I, study I read that uh, bats generate a lot of heat when they fly, and this virus uh, came uh, from bats, and uh, this virus can survive warm temperatures. Okay, that's... That's amazing. I hope I'm, really I hope I'm wrong. I kind of hope that's that he's wrong too. If they found that, then that pretty much uh, answers that question. The next few questions are um, from Carson and Sarah. So once we get to that point of life returning to normal, Sarah and Carson ask, you know, what will normal look like after this plague is gone? Do you have any estimates on how it'll work? What the world post coronavirus 
will look like. Will we really ever know when it's safe to go out in big, large groups again? When it's safe to go out to the skating rink or to the movies? What does it look like? I think I, I will sleep a lot better when there's a vaccine. Do you think that people will be hesitant or do, do you have any like speculations on what life will be like? Uh, after this is over or after we can start returning to normal, uh, like you said, probably at the beginning or, you know, in May? I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, uh, if you've ever done any traveling on air, airplane, airliners, you'll see uh, uh, it's pretty, it's not unusual to see Asians wearing surgical masks or masks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that will be, uh, I think that's what most Americans will be doing or should be doing in the future also. You know, the, the air on the airliners is recirculated throughout the cabin. You know, all it takes is one person on an airplane, and, and by the time the flight in, you can have easily have a dozen sick with it. Wow. You can have easily have a dozen infected with it. It's, so um... if you put, I mean, you, you do the math. If, if an infected person infects three people, but you, then you you, uh, you you change the circumstances where an infected person trapped on an airplane with closed circulation and 250 other people, well, that, that 2.5 or 3 people they infect all of a sudden exponentially grows to 10, 20. It and then those 10, 20, 10, 20 people grow out in the population after they get off the plane, and they infect two or three people apiece every day. It's, the spread is it's wildfire. All right, listeners, that is going to be all the questions we have today for part one of Dr. Mark Hash's interview. We are very lucky to have him on. There is more coming. A part two will be uploaded shortly, if not immediately after this episode is uploaded. So please stay tuned for that. Have a more perfect day.